Morning, friends. My name is Perry. I work for John. He says jump. I say how high. It's great that we could all be together to worship, just like every other time we get together to worship. But today is a little bit of a special day, and next Sunday, too, because we have, following the service, the Serve and Connect Expos. We are going to have a shorter service. All the people said amen. Okay. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter service, a little bit more of an abrupt ending to the service as well, but we're going to go into the cafe right after this, and we're going to link arms on our way there so nobody gets lost, but when you go in there, you're going to see signs and tables and human beings to talk to, and line up all three of those together. Find a sign that you think sounds interesting to you, and then talk to the person who's standing by it about their ministry area, and you can learn more about what's going on here at Calvary, how you can get connected, and how you can be a part of it. The bottom line is this, and I don't know how to be any more practical than this. If all you do is show up on a Sunday morning in this room, it's really hard to feel like you belong. And we want you to feel like you belong, that you are a part of this church community. The Serve and Connect Expo can be one step to just help you learn different ways you can find a smaller community to belong to. So we're going to do that right after this service. Worthy.com is a luxury auction marketplace. It's an online resource for buyers and sellers of loose diamonds, diamond rings, necklaces, bracelets, fine watches. The seller just learns how to clean their jewelry, to take photographs of it, to have it expertly graded by a professional, and then the seller sets what's called the reserve price. The reserve price is the minimum amount that the seller is willing to receive for whatever the seller is selling. And once that's all in place, then the auction goes live and the seller awaits the worthy bid. One diamond in particular did quite well. It was a 10.11 carat loose round-cut diamond that sold for $693,600. I'm totally stoked because they delivered it yesterday, and I got, uh, I must have fallen out of my pocket, but what would you do, though, if instead of the auction, somebody just handed you that diamond? $693,600. Wouldn't that be a great But it's not the greatest gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The gift of God given to us freely, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. What reserve price would you set for God's grace? What's it worth to you? Of course, that's a ludicrous question. There's no amount of the world's riches that could possibly compare with the eternal riches of God's grace. There's nothing that we would possibly trade or exchange for it. That's why Paul, just a couple chapters later, in Ephesians chapter 4, something we looked at last week, said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Even though... There's no dollar value we could possibly assign to God's grace. There is a worthy response that we are called to make. And then he went on and he talked about how the worthy response involves humility and gentleness. It involves 
patience. It involves bearing with one another in love. Eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we are a united body as a church, that is a part of our worthy response. But to be united is an incomplete response to what it means to be worthy. Because not only are we called to be united, but we're called to be active. Paul says as much, if you're familiar with how Ephesians 2 goes, he he says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we need to go back. There we go. There we go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship so that we're not only just called by His grace to be saved, but we're called by His grace for good works. This morning as we get into Ephesians 4, we're going to pick back up where we left off last week. And we're going to see that we're called to good works and we're also gifted for good works. So Ephesians 4 verse 7 is our starting point this morning. And it begins this way. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, this is right after Paul has just talked about the unity of the body. He talked about how there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. All of these repeated words of one. He repeats it seven times over and over to to show the completeness of the unity of God and the completeness of our fellowship together when we are walking in the ways of Christ. But we're not all clones of each other. We're not all identical. God has gifted each of us personally, and there is a unity, or we should say a diversity in our unity. That's what he's saying here, that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay, there's a lot going on there, and it's kind of confusing to just read it like this. But Paul's saying that we all have a personal gift, but it's of cosmic proportions. This is a reference here to Psalm 68 that talks about how God is like a king who has defeated his enemies. We just sang about this, how because of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, that we have victory over our greatest enemy, the enemy of death. And that as a victorious king, God has done this, or we should say more precisely, the Son of God has done this. An ancient king, after a victory, would lead the captives of the enemy on a parade to just show that These are now prisoners, no longer enemies. They have been disarmed. And along with that would be the spoils of war that would be distributed throughout the empire to enrich and to strengthen the kingdom. So that's the portrayal here, that God is like that king. We can say Jesus is like that victorious king who has then distributed gifts. And that is a reference to what we read about in the early pages of the book of Acts. There's the day of Pentecost where Jesus had told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and then they would be clothed with power from on high. 
if you read Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33, you see that what is being referenced here actually unfolded in the early church. That as Christ ascended back up to the throne room of heaven, he is like that victorious king. And as the victorious king, he's taking the spoils of the battle that he has won, and he's distributing it all to his people to strengthen his people, to enrich his people. And it's the form of the Holy Spirit that gives gifts. Not only have we been given a personal gift, but it's a cosmic gift because of all that Christ has done for us. Okay, so what does that gift look like? Let's keep reading. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I don't want to get too bogged down in all of the specifics of each one of these titles that he lists here, or offices or people, but the important point to make is that these are people. That Christ has gifted, because of his victory, certain people for certain roles in the church. These are all leadership roles in the early church that helped strengthen and equip and grow the church. And Paul is saying that these are people who are examples of Christ's gift because of his victory. But look at this. You have the leaders of the church, and their purpose is to equip who? The saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? We are the saints. The people of God. The people of God are the ones to do the work of ministry. The Christian life is not a spectator sport, as some have said. None of us have been gifted merely to sit and watch. None of us have been gifted just to sit back and observe. But we've been gifted to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. If you sit in a pew, God has gifted you to stand on the front lines of ministry. I am so thankful that in my five years of being on staff here at Calvary, that I have seen example after example after example of saints doing the work of ministry. I don't have time to talk about all of them, but let me share just a few of them with you. I've seen life groups start from scratch with leaders who have a spiritual vitality and a relational warmth about them, and they have a heart for ministering to other people, for encouraging other people in the faith. And these life groups form of people who are, you might as well call them strangers, But in the weekly routines, week after week, of opening God's Word, of applying it to their lives, of praying for each other, learning to be more vulnerable with each other, these groups of strangers become fast friends. And they they become people who serve together. And they grow in their faith and they encourage each other in a way that you look back at it and say, those are saints doing the work of ministry. I look at our Sunday classes that happen in this building and that some of that are going on right now. I look at the leaders of those classes and I see the saints doing the work of ministry as they prepare every week to teach. And then they love the people who come to their classes. We have college students, 18 to 22 year olds, who love to go to those classes that are mostly filled with people who are from a previous generation. I'll just put it that way. But they love it. They love being around these people who have more experience of walking with the Lord, more life experience, and they find that they are loved in a way that it just isn't possible when you're up on campus. 
Just this week, I was in a meeting with some of our women's Bible study leaders along with Teresa Sherrard, who leads our women's ministries and 55-plus ministries. We were talking about the upcoming season of ministry and the women's Bible studies, and I was just amazed as I got to hear from these ladies and to hear about their commitment to the truth of God's Word and to hear about their love for the women who are a part of their studies. And I can just say these are saints doing the work of ministry. I look at our student ministries over here, and I think about the young adults who invest into high school students, and then I think about the high school students who invest into middle school students. I think that is so remarkable. These are saints doing the work of ministry. And then I look at things that are very difficult about ministry. I look at people who are in a moment of crisis in their life because of some tragedy that has happened. We have a team of people who you will never find them in the spotlight. You'll never find them up here on stage like I am right now. The best place to find them actually is in the kitchen. Why? Because they are there setting up for, preparing, serving food for, preparing coffee for funerals and memorial services. They're there long afterward to clean up after the event is over, too. They make somebody's worst day just a little bit better because of the way that they love. Saints doing the work of ministry. It's a wonderful, marvelous, beautiful picture of the unity of the body in action. I wish, I wish I had more time to talk about Calvary Kids and the amazing team of people who invest into the little people of Calvary, teaching them, loving them, encouraging them. I wish I had more time to talk about other ministry areas that we have here, but we need to move on because we're getting out early, remember? But we see here that it's the saints who do the work of ministry and they're uniquely gifted in unique ways, but it's for a common purpose. We're building up the body of Christ. Let's keep going now and read what comes after this. Building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you get all that? Paul does not take a breath when he writes. But the important thing to just draw our attention to here is that Paul is describing the maturity of the body growing up. That as we serve together, we are a body that grows together. And notice these different elements that he adds into the mix. He has speaking the truth in love. He has a commitment to sound doctrine. He has this commitment to the works of ministry. These are elements of what it means to be mature in our faith, to be mature in our unity as a church. We can't just hold on to doctrine tightly with a clenched fist and not have any good works to go with it. That's a stale, stagnant doctrine. Neither can we just 
discard it. Set doctrine to the side and say social action, that's really what matters. That's the most important thing. We see too many examples of others doing that. We have to hold them all together, recognizing that all of them are the ingredients of what it means to grow and mature in our faith, to grow as one body. And as we do this, as we mature, as we grow, we become more like Christ because we are a body growing up into the head of our body who is Christ. You see, that's, that's a critical thing for us to think about. That a, a unified body that's actively engaged is a body that looks like Christ. Wouldn't it be awesome that by God's grace, when people see a glimpse of Calvary Bible Church, that they would see a glimpse of Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think by God's grace that does happen. But it doesn't just happen in our community, here, the church, but it happens outside in the greater community, in our city and in our county. Let me talk about some of the ways we represent the body of Christ, the presence of Christ, the love of Christ in the community around us. Kristen Reiner does an excellent job organizing and arranging all of our local outreach ministries. Calvary has certain strategic partners in the community that we give special attention to, to try to work with and alongside in order to help make a difference in our community. According to the Boulder Community Foundation, one of the greatest needs of our county, or I should say some of the greatest needs, plural, of our county, have to do with how affluent we are in our county. Up to 60% of the people who live in Boulder County are not able to afford a home in the county. Up to 60%. We know this and we have partnered with an organization, Habitat for Humanity, to help address this problem. If you know anything about Habitat, then you know that Habitat is an organization that their whole MO is to try to help low-income families get into a home. We have had build teams from Calvary, from the church, who have gone out to be a part of various projects around the city to build homes for people in our community who otherwise would not be able to afford them. There's a really exciting project going on right now in our city. It's a partnership between the city of Boulder itself, between Boulder Valley School District, and between Habitat. There's a community in Boulder called the Ponderosa Mobile Home Park. And residents right there, just as the name suggests, they live in mobile homes on a, a plot of dirt. But through this initiative, those residents have the opportunity to sell their mobile home and be able to purchase a fixed foundation, modular, highly efficient home, all built by Habitat. And we have had teams already from this church who have been a part of that effort to try to build and help get this project going and to sustain it along the way. This is something that will happen for probably the next seven years or so. It's a tailor-made opportunity for life groups, for classes to come together and just take a day to go serve. A group of our young adults recently did that here in the church. These are great opportunities to help love our community by making a difference in the community, and along the way showing the love of Jesus. It's the work of ministry that we saints are a part of. 
Another problem, though, in our community, or another need in our community because of our affluence is the simple fact that a lot of younger people cannot afford to live here. And because of that, the average age in Boulder County is increasing. The fastest growing demographic is age 65 and above. We know that because of that, senior care is going to become even more important. Did you know there's a team of people from Calvary who every week goes to one of the local senior living facilities, Brookdale, and conducts a worship service there. We have musicians and others, other talented people who go and help lead singing, lead hymns. We have people who are talented at opening God's word and preaching. And then we have people who are just warm and loving, which I say just, but that's the most important part of it. They're showing dignity to these people who can be so easily forgotten so easily discarded because they're at the stage of life that they're at. That's something that shows us the saints doing the work of ministry. Another great cause in our community is the Boulder Safe House. The Boulder Safe House is an organization that helps provide shelter and counseling for women who are victims of domestic violence. They often will bring their children with them, too, because there are usually children in the mix. And these women come to the safe house, and what they really need most is just to be loved. They need a place that's warm and welcoming and inviting. We've had a long partnership with the safe house and have realized in recent times that the play area for the kids and their moms is just kind of tired and needed refreshed. So we've had a team of guys this summer who have been fabricating building a play structure to go into that space at the safe house. They're building it off-site, but then we'll install it on-site here when it's complete. We have women who also make blankets and book bags to help moms and their kids connect better while while they're at the safe house. Just examples of saints doing the work of ministry in our community, loving the vulnerable, and demonstrating the love of Jesus. We also have a fantastic ministry at University Hill Elementary School. University Hill is just across from CU's campus. But it is disproportionately populated with low-income students. We have people who go to that school on a routine basis to try to tutor and mentor the students there. We have prayer partners for those tutors who, while they're meeting with their student. This prayer partner is praying for that relationship, that interaction. We've had a team of people who write letters to try to encourage the staff, encourage the teachers there, trying to make a difference and showing them that they they are valued, that they matter. It's saints doing the work of ministry. I wish I could tell you about more and more of these partnerships that we have, more and more ways we try to serve in the local community. And that's not even to mention our global community because we have global ministries as well, mission trips that you can be a part of, and all of those will be represented in the expo when we dismiss in just a moment. I just encourage you to go in there, to check out those tables, have a conversation with someone about what kind of ministry area they represent, and see if maybe maybe that's something you could be a part of. I think what Paul is teaching us in Ephesians chapter 4 is that a united community is part of what it means to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling to which we've been called. 
But it's not only a united community, it's an active community. A body that serves together is a body that grows together. Paul is showing us that as what our proper response should be to this incredible gift we have received. So my hope, my prayer is that as we we go from here, that we would just be encouraged to know that God has gifted each one of us to serve. God has gifted each one of us to do the work of ministry. And we have opportunities for you to jump in with the gifts that God has given. Okay, why don't we stand? And I'm going to pray. And then, like I said earlier, we're going to link arms, hold hands. We're going to go into the cafe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that encourages us, that instructs us, that guides us. Lord, we want to be a body of people who walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Lord, thank you for the grace that enables us to do that. And I pray now, God, that you would guide us, you would lead us into the opportunity that you would desire for us to be a part of, that we would take the step that you desire for us to take. And God, that as we do these things, we would grow to be even more mature as your body, representing you in this city, in our county, all to your glory and for our good. We pray this in the mighty, powerful, victorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's go.